We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, and we'll find uh, the beloved Psalm, Psalm 23. We've been in a study of the life of David, and we're coming, God willing, next week and moving forward to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, and I want to encourage you, just get ahead a little bit in your, uh, in your preparation and read 2 Samuel 24. Then I, I think it'll be important for you to also read 1 Chronicles 21. Same, the same event is recorded, but we're given some information in each of those two chapters that helps us have the complete or a more complete, rather, picture. And so I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we have in those chapters, uh, we have the, uh, the occurrence of God's judgment upon the sins of the people and David's plea for mercy and God gave mercy. And there at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, David made an altar. He purchased the property and he made sacrifice unto the Lord and the sins of the people were atoned for there. And it was there on that site that God directed David uh, to lead his son and the generation to come to build the temple. So the temple was built at the site of the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And though David had in his heart to build a house for the Lord, the temple of God, God did not allow David to do that, but God made a promise that David's son, Solomon, would build uh, that temple. So David, in the remaining years of his life, prepared all that needed to be done for the construction of the temple. And uh, when he died, Solomon was ready then to begin the work. And so this will be sort of the final leg in the race as we examine the life of David moving forward. And, and so I want to encourage you, read First Chronicles 21 and moving forward uh, through the process of the preparation uh, for the temple. And that's what we'll be talking about uh, in our church in, in the next few weeks. But this morning we go to Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is a testimony psalm. Uh, it is uh, Dave's, David's most beloved work, and I think it encapsulates the theme of his life. And so we begin reading in Psalm 23 in verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. I want you to notice the statement that we read in the beginning of this 23rd Psalm. It declares to us the theme of it, the Lord is my shepherd. I want to speak to you on that subject this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. Would you pray with me? And let's ask for God to speak to us through his word. Our Father, today we ask you as we come together as your people around your word, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit of God reveal to us this truth. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of the most beloved portions of Scripture because it speaks of the personal nature of our relationship to God. To God our Father, to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that we are his sheep. That's the picture that is drawn. David was a shepherd boy and, and he took care of his father's sheep. And so he portrays for us this relationship that we have got with our heavenly father as that of the shepherd and the sheep. Now, in Psalm 22, 23, and 24, we have what is called a trilogy of psalms, and they speak of the shepherding work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, we see the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. A thousand years or more before the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on Calvary, uh, what we have in Psalm 22, David details the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. We find in Psalm 22, 32 distinct prophecies concerning Christ's death on the cross that were fulfilled at Calvary. Jesus said in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So in Psalm 22, we see the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, we see the great shepherd. Our ascended Lord, having made the payment for our sin, having uh, suffered the death of the cross, buried and risen again, leading his people, guiding, comforting, and sustaining us in our lives. And then in Psalm 24, we see the chief shepherd as he comes to claim his own and take us with him to heaven. So the theme of the shepherd is a predominant theme here. John Phillips says this concerning Psalm 23. He says, it is not enough to say that he is a shepherd, speaking of the Lord Jesus. It's not enough to say that he is a shepherd, a founder of some religious system of the world. It's not enough to say that he is the shepherd, although he is the shepherd. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life exclusively. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the shepherd. But Phillips writes, that simply sets him apart from everyone else. For it to become real to you and I, he writes this, you must own him as your shepherd. That's the word of David, was it not? The Lord is my shepherd. I want to ask you this morning as we consider this passage, can you say that with confidence in your heart today? that the Lord is my shepherd, that he is your shepherd. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your shepherd, and are you one of his sheep? Now, 
All of us, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, are like sheep. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. What has led us astray? It is our sin. It is our sin that has separated us from God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us were born with one universal problem, the problem of sin. We are by nature sinners in rebellion against a holy God. We have turned, the prophet wrote, we have turned everyone to his own way. We're trying to figure this out for ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need his help. That was the sin of Eve in the garden when she rebelled against God and took the fruit. And the Bible says this, the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of Christ, the iniquity of us all. The Lord Jesus Christ came to us Though we had gone astray, and he bore the penalty of our sin so that he might redeem us back to himself. I'd like for you to go with me to the New Testament. Would you look in the, the gospel according to Luke? The gospel according to Luke and the 15th chapter. And the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 15 gives three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. These stories, these parables were given to illustrate truths to the people. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 3, he speaks of the parable of the lost sheep. He says this in verse 3, and he spake this parable unto them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? until he find it. Here the Lord Jesus reveals the heart of God. The heart of God is toward the sheep that he has created. He, his heart is toward those who are outside of the fold, who are outside of his protection and his provision. And so understanding that there are sheep that are outside the fold, if it just be one, he says God will go after that sheep he will go after that which is lost until he find it. Jesus Christ said that the purpose that he had came to this world was to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm glad that God did not leave me out in the wilderness of this world to fend for myself, to try to figure this thing out, to try to make my own way. But he saw me for who I was, a lost, a lost sinner, a lost lamb in need of a shepherd, and he came to save me. In verse number five, the Bible said, and when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Here the shepherd now has reclaimed the sheep that was lost. And he goes back home rejoicing that all of the sheep are in the fold. You see, the Bible teaches us this, that God did not send his son to destroy us. He sent his son to save us. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God sent his son to rescue a lost, perishing people and deliver us from death and hell into the kingdom of his son. And he rejoices when we come into that kingdom. 
In verse 7, he says this, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. What does God delight in? He delights in rescuing lost sheep. He delights in saving sinners, all people. God is a universal, international God who desires to save all. Elizabeth uh, Clefane, who was from Edinburgh, Scotland. She lived from 1830 until 1869, just short of her 39th birthday. She wrote these words, which many of you may know. There were 99 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Far out in the desert he heard its cry, "'Twas sick and helpless." And ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. And all through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. You see, the Lord is our shepherd. He loves you. He came to save you. He bore the penalty of your sin, dying on the cross for you, so that you would not have to die and suffer an eternity apart from him in a dreadful place called hell. He died to save you, and he desires that all would come to him. I trust that if you don't know him as your Savior this morning, that you will receive him today. He's a shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Well, he can be your shepherd. I hope that you will receive him. Many in this room know Christ is your shepherd. That's why you've gathered today. But let me ask you a question considering this truth that he is your shepherd. Have you strayed from him? Have the enticements of this world drawn you away from the fold? Have your sins hindered your walk with the shepherd? Have, have the dark clouds of trials enveloped you, causing you to lose sight of your shepherd? Have you grown weak in the inner man because you've neglected the green pastures of God's word? Perhaps what you need this morning is a tap of the rod or the correction of his staff, a reminder of his promises will surely encourage a sorrowful soul. And maybe that's what you need this morning. Perhaps just a reminder of what it means to be in the fold. And to say with the great psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, as we think about this thought,
I want to point out some things to you as we consider our shepherd. First of all, if you're writing them down, I hope you are, would you write this down? The shepherd's provision for his sheep. When we think about the Lord as our shepherd, we understand that he provides for us. Notice what the psalmist said in verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means all of my needs are supplied. God is able and God only is able to meet all the needs of humanity. The needs of our depraved, lost souls only Christ can fill. Uh, one has written, the wicked always want, but the righteous are always satisfied. Do you know what Satan does? He preys upon the discontentment of our hearts. When he went to Eve in the garden, Eve had all of the fruit of the garden at her disposal except for one, uh, for the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is the tree that Satan pointed out to her. You see, oftentimes the way the devil works is he works through our discontentment. He points out to us the things that we wished we had that we do not have. He does not point us to all the things that Christ has provided for us. He, he does not encourage us to be content. No, he leads us down the dismal road of discontentment. But the Bible tells me that my shepherd provides all that I need. He is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse number 11, he, speaking of Christ, shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. You see, the lamb, the sheep, can give all of their concerns and their cares over to their shepherd because he will meet their every need. I want to say to you this morning that your shepherd is your sufficiency. He is the supplier of all your needs. But my God, the Bible says, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. So God makes provision for us. Now notice what he provides. Look, if you would, in verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The first thing we see that God provides for us is rest. Rest. We live in a, a world of unrest, a, a world of anxiety, and a world of fear, a world of stress, but Jesus invites us in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 when he says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, those who are carrying great burdens, those who are, whose lives are filled with many troubles, those whose hearts are gripped with many fears. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus says that his peace is available to us. He can give us rest in the difficulties of life. Not only does he provide for us rest, but he provides for us refreshment. The Bible says that he leadeth me beside the still waters. That's important for a little lamb because a lamb will not drink from a moving stream. He'll only drink from still waters. And sometimes it can be hard to find still waters but the shepherd knows exactly where they are and he leads us to them to supply the thirst of our soul. In John chapter four, we have the, we have the, the record of the Lord Jesus visiting uh, the Samaritan woman. 
the Samaritan woman was coming to the well at the noontime hour. That was not the customary hour that the women would come to the well. They would customarily come in the morning hours. Jesus, as a Jew, would not typically, or at least the Jewish people, rather, would not typically go through Samaria because there was racial enmity and religious disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans. But the Bible says that when Jesus was on his journey, he must needs go through Samaria. The language of the Bible is important for us to understand. That was not the customary route a Jew would take. But Jesus needed to go. He, in fact, must needs go. And why is it that he must needs go? The road was not more convenient. In fact, that road was very difficult. So no no doubt the disciples were wondering, why is it that we're going this way? Why is it that we're going through Samaria? Because the Lord Jesus knew there was a woman who was coming at the noontime hour. A woman who was, had been married five times. She was living with a man who was not her husband. Uh, she was ashamed to come at the time that the, the women of the village would come. Perhaps uh, she had, uh, had been gossiped about and had been ridiculed and had been condemned. And so she came to the well at the noontime hour. Because really, what she found herself becoming socially was a castaway, an outcast of the outcasts. That is the person that God loves and the person that he came to save. He came at the noontime hour because he knew that she would be there. By the way, God has known all of us, the Bible teaches us this, since the foundation of the world. All of us were in the heart and mind of God when he spoke this universe into existence, when he formed Adam of the dust of the ground, when he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He intended for us to live forever. It is only because of sin that we've been separated from God. It is only because of sin that we experience death. But God has come to us that he might restore us and save us. And so he came to the well that day And that Samaritan woman brought her water pot, as she would do each day, to draw the water for the day for the household and to take it back home. But Jesus began to speak to her, not of the need that she had for physical water, not of her physical thirst, but of the thirst of her soul, the need of her life. She obviously was looking in different wells to find fulfillment, but only the Lord Jesus himself could bring that fulfillment. You see, Jesus gave to her that day the water that she would never have to go and find in any other well. He gave her the water of salvation, spiritual life in Christ, a well that sprang up in her unto life everlasting. And he says this to her in John 4 and verse 14, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Again, in John 6 and 35, Jesus said, He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's speaking there of the thirst of the inner man, the soul of man. And so what does our shepherd provide? Well, he provides for us rest in a restless world. He he provides a, a refreshment for us in a dry and dusty land. And then notice again what he says here in verse number three. He restoreth my soul. To restore means to bring it back, to repair that which is broken. What has sin done to humanity? It has damaged our souls. It's caused the hatred and the strife of this world. It's caused the mistreatment and the crime. 
It's caused all of the abuses, the misunderstandings, the divisions, the destructions, the wars. What has caused it all is the damage that sin has done to the soul of humanity. And there's only one way for that damage to be restored. It is through the work of the Spirit of God. You see, when God made man, he made him eternal. He made him to live forever in perfect harmony and fellowship with him. But when man sinned against God, the spirit of God departed from man, and that soul that was filled with the light and the life of God was left void and empty, dying and in darkness. And we're living in a world of darkness. But Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world, came to give us light and came to give us life. He came to restore that which is broken. Well, we see something else he provides for us. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that there is no righteousness in us, for there is none righteous, no, not one. We may do good deeds, but we are sinners Altogether, There's only one righteous. That's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I can't earn our way to heaven, but Jesus Christ came as the righteous one to make the payment for our sin, to satisfy the just demands of a holy God, to suffer and bleed and die for us, that the atonement of our sin could be made so that his righteousness would be exchanged for our sinfulness Our sinfulness laid on him. His righteousness imputed to our account. The Bible says in Proverbs 8 and verse 20, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ, the virgin born son of God, had no ability to sin. He was God's precious son, not bound, not susceptible by the laws of sin that you and I are bound by. David said, I was conceived in iniquity. I was shapen in iniquity. I was conceived in sin. I was born the son of two sinners. Therefore, I received the sin nature. I inherited it. All of us have inherited it. But Jesus Christ, the son of God, inherited the righteous nature of his father and he made the payment for our sin when God made him to be sin for us. When he went to Gethsemane's garden and he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. When he said, I will take the cup, the cup of our sin. And he was separated from God on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, he was righteous, but he became sin for us so that we who are sinners might be made righteous in him. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 9. He said that I may be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I cannot live a good enough life to get to heaven. I cannot live a life that pleases God and fulfills his holy demands, but Jesus Christ lived it for me. And if I will receive him as Savior and confess my sin, if I will trust in him by faith, his righteousness is exchanged for my wickedness. What a glorious provision. I had no money 
Let's put it that way. I had no currency of righteousness to offer God to get me into heaven. But Jesus Christ, who has all the riches of righteousness, has imputed my account with his righteous record. Satan will drag up our sins. He, he will condemn us. He will remind us of our past. But let me tell you that if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, God has forgiven you of sin. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He's cast it behind his back. And when Satan points out our sin, God sees the righteous record of the sinless one, the Lord Jesus. I would say that's a glorious provision, wouldn't you? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he rejoiced in the provision of the shepherd. He rejoiced in the rest that he found in the Lord, the refreshment that he received, the restoration of his broken soul and the righteousness of God. Well, then secondly, we see the shepherd's presence among his sheep. The sheep aren't alone, but God is with them. Look in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Notice these words, please. For thou art with me. For thou art with me. What does a little child want when they have to walk through the darkness? They want mom and dad to be with them. They want a comforting hand. They want to know that somebody's with them. They want to know that they are not alone. And I want to say this to you. If the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd, you are not alone. He has made a promise to us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death's shadow is cast upon this world. We're surrounded by the reality of death each day. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. I spoke to a man who was a, a, a financial advisor and uh, he, he was telling me what he did for a living. I, I asked him curiously and I had a good idea but I wanted him to tell me because I was going somewhere in the conversation. He said, well, I help people prepare for the future. I help people prepare for their, their children's college fund. I, I help people prepare for retirement that... I help them make the decisions now that will prepare them for f future uh, events. And he said, what do you do? I said, something very similar to you. <laughs> you see, some people don't live for retirement. They don't make it to retirement. Not everybody gets to retire. But everybody will die. Not everybody's children are going to go to college but everybody will die. It's inevitable. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. I said, so I help people prepare for eternity so that they can be with God. Well, he wasn't interested in talking about that. But I pray that God used it in his life. You see, we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This world has nothing to offer us but death and heartache and sorrow and suffering. But David said, yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We live in a fearful world, don't we? 
people are afraid that they're going to die from some dreadful disease such as COVID or that global warming will soon destroy us or that crime which is pervasive in our cities in America today and unrestrained will claim their lives or their fortunes. People live in fear. But the Christian who has the shepherd, though he might have moments of fear, when he looks to Jesus, will be strengthened in faith. And David said, I I will fear no evil. And, And why is it? What what is it that causes us to have such a sense of security in such a dreadful, sorrowful world? It is the presence of Christ among us. For thou art with me. We often sing this song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Death has no hold on us. As we'll find tonight in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, there is no sting. There is no power of death. There is no victory for the grave. The victory is for the believer. Our friend Earl uh, is not in some unknown state. He is with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when he crossed the river the other evening in Cheryl's Ford at the hospice care, the Lord was with him. Theodosia, who was the Viscountess of Powers Court, you can Google that and you can learn a lot about it, I'm sure, made a wonderful statement. She said, the worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination. You see, this is how the devil works in us, with fear, to to cause anxiety and and concern. She said, "If, if we had no troubles but real troubles, we should not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. We feel a thousand deaths in fearing one, but the psalmist is cured of the disease of fearing writing, I will fear no evil. Now, there's some tokens that God has given us to remind us that he's with us. Notice what he says here in verse number four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Here are the tokens, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We have the rod and the staff of the shepherd. What was the rod used for? To protect us from the foe, the enemy that seeks to devour us. The rod was used as a means of chastening and correction. The rod was used to provide assurance that the sheep were his. Each evening, when the shepherd would bring the sheep back to the fold, he would stand at the gate at the door and tap them on the head and call their name. Therefore, he knew, by, he knew them by name and he knew the number. And he took care of all of his sheep. God knows us by name. He knows us intimately. He loves us. He cares for us. He is a faithful high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And he ever liveth to make intercession for us. The staff is used to keep us on the path, to bring us back to God. We get off path, don't we? 
We stray from the shepherd. But God in love brings us back. Then notice in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me. There's another token that he is with us. There's a table that God has spread for us. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. You see, though our enemies are all around us, the enemies of God, and the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not human beings that are our enemies. It is spiritual wickedness in high places. It is the kingdom of darkness. Though we're surrounded, though trials encompass us, there is no panic, there is no confusion, there is no disturbance. The enemy may be at the door, but God has prepared for us a table. And we can dine and commune with him in the presence of his enemies, or the presence of mine enemies, the psalmist said. Philippians 4, 7 tells us this. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What keeps us from fearing? It is the reassuring presence of the shepherd. So we see what it means to have a shepherd. We see how he provides for the sheep. Oh, we see that he is present among the sheep. And then lastly, we see his promise to the sheep. The shepherd has given us a promise. Look at it if you would. It's a promise that's good for now and it's good for the future. Earl Miller took that promise when he received Christ as his Savior. And he's walked with the Lord these many years. God has blessed he and Gene 69 years together, a Christian home, a Christian testimony. Thank God for them. They've been a blessing to our church, have they not? As have so many others of you. And you have experienced this grace of God in your lives when it came, when this time came to you. Notice what the psalmist says. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life. I didn't come to destroy men. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. That means for the here and now. God has come to give us life, spiritual life, abundant life. And how does the psalmist describe it? He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David, I believe, is a young man inspired by what he saw uh, taking care of the sheep, began to, began to relate his relationship to God in such a way. And he's looking forward with expectancy to God's blessings. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David had some difficult days, did he not? But God always, always took care of him. Goodness and mercy. Spurgeon said that goodness and mercy were God's footmen. He related the story of a wealthy man who traveled with two footmen. They would stand behind him on the coach as he traveled. And their task was to smooth the way of the road. Wherever he went, they went. When the coach stopped, they jumped down to open the door. They would hurry into the inn to make sure his room was ready and his supper served. Spurgeon said, God's two footmen are goodness and mercy, and they follow us just like those footmen to smooth our journey home. You see, someone has said it this way. We experience his goodness for our steps. All along the way, God's goodness is manifest, and we experience his mercy for our stumbles. 
we do stumble, don't we? But we find that God, who is a God of mercy, his mercies fail not. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. His mercy endureth forever. God still loves us. God still sustains us in our stumbles. And then the psalmist closed with this statement. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Something to look forward to throughout life. Something to look forward to throughout all eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David said, I have a place in the family of God. I have access to the house. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment a believer dies, he's with Jesus. He's in the house of God, and he will be with him for all eternity. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now listen to this, please. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus. He's made the way. He's made an eternal home for you if you'll receive him. And when death comes to us, and it inevitably will, and when the members of this church stand beside your loved ones and try to encourage them, if you know Jesus, you'll be in heaven with the saints of God for all eternity. Oh, it's wonderful to have a shepherd, isn't it? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he yours? He wants to be. You can receive him. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your head? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I want to ask you a question to contemplate in your own soul today. Is the Lord your shepherd? Can you with confidence say the Lord is my shepherd? Are these provisions for you? Are his promises for you? Oh, he wants them to be. There was a man who came to Paul one night and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Is it really that simple? Yes, it's really that simple. Because when I believe, what I'm saying is that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me, who was buried and rose again. I'm saying that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And if I believe in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again. And I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that I will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never called upon the name of the Lord. I want to invite you in just a moment to do that. And you can be saved and have a shepherd. One who will give you rest and refreshment. One who will restore the soul and provide his righteousness for you but one who will lead you through life and will always be present and one whose promises are binding in your life. Maybe as a Christian you find yourself here this morning discouraged, disheartened, 
And today you've been reminded of the goodness of God and his provision for you. Maybe today you need to come and seek him for cleansing, for forgiveness, to claim his promises, to give thanks to him that he's your shepherd. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.